And as much as I love backpacking, you can backpack everywhere. If you think about it, if you look at the map, because as water wave reaches to the far corners of the country, literally you could go everywhere and anywhere with a canoe. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Uh, today's actually a Throwback Thursday episode. We do this every Thursday, and this one is from 2015. It, it, we're really throwing it back today. This is all the way to one of our very first episodes. We were talking about canoeing in Canada, all throughout Canada with David Lee. I didn't host this one. Kurt hosted this. Um, but man, is there anything more quintessential of adventure than Canada and canoeing. That sounds like such an incredible time. There's so much water, of course, in Canada, um, so many lakes and rivers, and a canoe just seems like an amazing mode of transportation to explore all that and to be able to carry what you need and all that. I have a canoe. I love taking it out. It's uh, it's great with kids. You know, it gives them a little more freedom um, to move around and to uh, participate, but not weigh you down too much, too. Not that the kids ever weigh us down. You know what I'm saying? But I can invent. I, I think I'm going to be using my canoe a lot more. And after today's re-listen, I'm gonna. I'm probably going to get some more ideas on where to take it and what to do with it. So um, I'm excited to get into this one. So without me rambling too much more, let's just go ahead and jump in. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host Kurt Linville. Our guest today is David Lee from Ontario, Canada. David is a passionate paddler, and his canoeing enthusiasm is contagious, so I'm really excited to visit with him today. Um, His canoeing has taken him on countless routes in his home province, as well as in some neighboring ones, such as Quebec and Manitoba. He's one of the first to head off on canoe trips as the ice melts out and he's usually the last one to pull his canoe out of the water when the when the lakes are freezing around him. Uh, he spends nearly three months a year on more than a dozen canoe trips and he can be found slicing through all sorts of Canadian waterways. So David, welcome to the program. Thank you, Kurt. It's a pleasure to, to be on this podcast with you. Well, we're excited to have you here to talk about canoeing. It's been Um, nearly two months since we visited about canoeing, and it's so much fun. And you have some of the most amazing canoeing areas up in Canada. And uh, so we're, I'm just excited to share with the guests what the canoeing world is like up there. For sure, that would be great. So I see here that you really enjoy going through the, the Canadian parks and protected areas, but you also talk about finding lost routes and uh, maybe even finding routes that no one has ever paddled before. Tell us a little bit about that. That's correct. Um, you know, as you develop your your skill set and and your ability to you know pick on your sport, uh, you obviously start to want to um, get onto bigger and uh, harder challenges. Um, and so that's you know that's where I've developed um, into becoming uh, a more involved paddler because when you go to parks it's fairly straightforward you have signs you have uh great maps you have information that's readily available and sure you can you can you know visit a lot of beautiful areas but over time you kind of think you know when you look at a map you realize that there's you know just a highway of of water and so we call them the highways of of, of water opposed to like you know uh you know, highways of asphalt, right? And uh, you realize that the possibilities are endless. And so uh, over the course of uh, many years, uh, you know, as I've got better and more skilled at map reading and, and my ability to navigate waters, whether it was, you know, through a, a, a marsh or whether it was along a river, you start to think of, you know, to yourself, what would it be like to go this way where you there's no information actually available? And so... That's where I've kind of gotten to uh, this point in my life where now I start to, you know, you know, I think there's that saying when you always kind of wonder what's beyond that next bend. Uh, that's kind of where I've come to. So 
you know, there's no information and I want to know what's around that next bend. And that's, you know, that's where, you know, I've taken my canoeing to, to this point in time. You know, I, I can relate to that. I think we all get that wanderlust. Maybe this is paddle lust, huh? <laughs> that's, that would perfectly be, yeah, that's perfect. Um, you know, it's been a long time ago, but I, I had the great opportunity to drive through Ontario and my brief summary of it was that every hilltop is a beautiful forest and every valley is a lake or a river. It just, that was right. just my impression. How far off am I on that? Uh, you know, I think you're pretty much correct because really, if you think about, think about it, um, I mean, we don't necessarily have mountains here in Ontario, but it's the water flows downward and, and in the low, low areas. Right. And so all the waterways are connected and they all flow to somewhere. And so definitely that would definitely be a, a, a the, the right concept, the right mindset. Well, hey, take a few minutes to bring us up to date on how you got into canoeing and your connection to the sport. I know you've been doing it for a long time, so. Yeah, actually, well, I mean, actually, I, I couldn't say that I've done it for as long as some other people who have been into canoeing. I mean, I've, I've been into it really, um, really passionately, I guess you can say, for probably about the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, I had canoed before when I was a lot younger um, at a summer camp. But for some reason, you know, like certain things in your life, it didn't catch on then. Um, and in, in, in fact, I was more interested in, in mountaineering. Uh, I got, you know, looking at National Geographic magazines and heard about um, you know, Hillary climbing Everest and I got enthralled with that. And so, but growing up, uh, because we don't have mountains here and I just, you know, as, as, uh, um, immigrants from uh, Korea coming to this country, Canada, we didn't have the financial resources. So I was stuck backpacking. So, uh, I did a lot of backpacking as a, as a younger kid, but, uh, what ended up happening was that one day I was at a bookstore and I was looking for some more backpacking routes. And I happened to chance upon a, a, a canoe route book by a fellow named Kevin Callan. He's a well-known canoeist here in, in Canada or in Ontario. And he, he actually spoke very passionately about paddling and, and, and his love for uh, you know, traveling lakes and rivers and whatnot. But what really turned me um, was what I found out about canoeing. What I found out was that in this country, um, because we're all this country is so well known for its fresh water, um, that there is a lot of it, and it's all, we're all interconnected by a waterway. And really, because this country, if you look in the history, it was built on the fur trade, and a lot of the fur trade was done based on the native vessel, which was the canoe. And uh, so naturally, this country is perfect for canoeing and as much as i love backpacking you can backpack everywhere if you think about it if you look at the map because as waterway reaches to the far corners of the country literally you could go everywhere and anywhere with the canoe and that's when it kind of clicked to me and realized that hey yes i was enjoying backpacking and enjoyed hiking but this is what i should be doing and then i finally uh you know took uh head off on one of the routes by Kevin's Callan's book. And I was hooked from there, from then on. Boy, I can see how easy it would be to get hooked on the sport. I grew up canoeing on a scenic river in Oklahoma called the right. Illinois. And I really enjoyed it. And for us, you know, we weren't on some big backpacking overnight thing. Usually it was just a day trip and we would see how many times we could flip the canoe on purpose and <laughs> ambush each other. And But, you know, how much fun can you have doing things like that? And now we canoe sure. in, in the lakes in Colorado, um, doing a little fishing and just enjoying the pristine, you know, the, the clear water and the, the silence of it. I love yep. the way that in a boat, you can drift right up on wildlife and they don't see you walking toward them and somehow it, just, it doesn't trigger the same alarm. Right. And so you get to experience the wildlife and nature from a whole new perspective. And I've long dreamed of exploring those vast waterways you're talking about up in Ontario. So <laughs> if a person were in southern Ontario and they wanted to go north, 
Right. Um, how far could they go, and how many portages would they have to to go a huge distance? Uh, well, really, you know, Ontario is a huge province, and so the one place that everyone hears about, whether it's uh, from the United States or even internationally, everyone has heard of Algonquin Provincial Park. And Algonquin Provincial Park is known for um, the autumn leaves, the brilliant autumn leaves, but is also known for canoeing. And you can kind of consider Algonquin as like the canoeing capital of, of Canada. So from Toronto, which is, you know, the, the capital of Ontario, um, it's three hours to get to Algonquin Provincial Park. So it's not too long, and it's it's quite an easy uh, um, way to get there because you know the 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 highways there are 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 not it's not like dirt roads or anything that you have to travel. It's it's all all paved and it's easy to get to. So it's an easy destination for anyone wanting to canoe or even hike or whatever the case is, any other kind of activities in the park, uh, even for a, a, I'd say a, just a weekend uh, getaway. Uh, now. If you go beyond Algonquin, there's certainly a lot of other uh, parks and what we also call Crown Land. Crown Land is, is not a park. It's, it's basically meaning that it belongs to the public, meaning it's, it's public land. Mm, and okay. th- yeah, this is where it gets interesting because this is where if you wanted to do some exploration, you could because it's public land and you could look on a map and say, hey, I want to follow this river and get to this lake and, and see what it's like. Uh, you could do that. The only, the only, uh, the, uh, what do you call it? The setback is sometimes the access to those areas are are limiting because you know there are no roads there. So you would have to find probably the closest waterway that you could get access to by vehicle or let's say train or whatever other means that you can get there, and then you would have to paddle and get to those, uh, you know, that, that waterway that you're interested in. But that that certainly opens up so many more uh, possibilities rather than being stuck to certain designated plots of land, which are designated as parks. So yeah, that's neat. You know, yeah. So really, uh, because Ontario is so big, I've gone as far as almost two days drive up into the north uh, northwest corner of Ontario, up in Woodland Caribou Provincial Park. And, and so literally, like, it, it's quite a bit of a drive to get to the northern part of Ontario, and I and I can do, literally drive further, um, and and still access a huge tract of wilderness. So the the possibilities are definitely limit, limitless. Yeah, and I cannot say the same for Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> We're a lot drier here, even though we have literally thousands of mountain streams. You know, most of them are not navigable. Right, and uh, so. But we have we have enough to enjoy. But I think Ontario just um, got more than its fair share of those beautiful waterways. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's, it's a huge province, and it's got lakes and waterways all over the place. So, why would you encourage people to take up the sport of canoeing to give it a shot? Well, you know what I think, like I mentioned before. Just based on the on the province, and not even just the province, the country itself, um, it is perfect. Like canoeing is like the perfect uh, sport for for people who are who have a, a love for the outdoors. Sure, you could backpack. Sure, you can kayak. You can do other kind of outdoor activities. But if you really want to get back to to, I mean, if you really want to get to exploring nature and and don't want to be limited by the terrain or, or like, here's an example. If you took kayaking, kayaking is not, it's not a, a vessel for portaging. It's, it's, you know, it's more, more for a bigger, a big mass of water, body of water. So you're looking at oceans and, and huge lakes. So it's limited in its, in its ability to, to travel basically across the country. If you live on the coast, that's great. But the canoe because you you can portage the canoe, you can travel all along the waterways. And if the waters don't connect, well, what do you do? You put the canoe on top of your on your shoulders, and you carry to the next body of water, and then you just continue your journey. And that's why you'll hear about a lot of people paddling across the country because they can, mm. right? And that's the beauty of it. Um, so, for 
for anyone that has a love for the outdoors, I would certainly encourage canoeing because it literally is a, a limitless uh, possibilities and opportunities that you, you can have at your, your, foot, your doorstep. I've often wondered how nice it would be to uh, go on an extended canoe trip when you can have the luxury of a little bit more gear in the canoe. Um, I do a lot of backpacking, and I really like to have a light pack. So I leave as much at home as I can, but I think, wow, canoeing, uh, that could <laughs> afford some real luxuries. Yeah. it. You know what, um, Amy, you've done backpacking, and one of, the, one of my uh, things about backpacking that I've always struggled with was that when I was growing up, I had no idea that I had a flat foot. And so as much as my legs hurt at the end of the night, you know, you know, after the, the, you know, getting to camp, I still backpack. Right. And, and it wasn't until years later that I realized that there was something called an orthotic that could help you with your, your leg, <laughs> your pain. Right. But so when I transitioned over to canoeing, um, so I didn't have to worry so much about walking so much and, and, and it, it relieved me of the, the leg pain, but it also, like you said, allows you to take more things that normally you wouldn't take because you're so conscious about weight and how much you're carrying. So there's, there's the other side of it. You can take some more luxuries. You can take something that's heavier, like a more comfortable chair. Like, you know, no, no backpacker would take a chair, right? I mean, it would just sit on the ground or lean, across, lean on, on a tree, right? Right. But when you go canoeing, you could take a nice, comfy, foldable, compact chair. And that's that luxury that you can enjoy sitting in front of, uh, you know, a, a river or a falls or a nice calm lake and enjoy it and still be comfortable. Um, the downside is, of course, if you do a lot of portaging, then, you know, you'll be carrying that extra weight as well, too. So but because usually there's more paddling involved, you can kind of justify the extra weight sometimes. Well, tell us a story about a really amazing experience that you had canoeing you know, that maybe got you hooked on the sport or would help our listeners to, to get a real feel for what it's like to do an extended trip? Actually, it wasn't a trip that got me into canoeing. It was, it was more that discovery of, the, of, of reading that book and, and discovering uh, that this country was built for canoeing that got me so thrilled about getting into canoeing. And then, and then I found a passion for it. So, I mean, since that, you know, once I started getting into canoe trips, um, and I guess you can say I got into the rhythm of paddling and portaging the canoe. It's like I found my mojo. It just, it's just like I found my passion. And it, and it, felt, it just felt right. And so uh, it, it just it progressed from one trip to another trip to another trip. And then as the years progressed, I was just doing more and more trips because I just fell in love with it. And so um, it's funny. It's not like I went on a trip and, and a light bulb went out. Uh, sorry, went out. <laughs> it turned on. Um, it was it was um, it was this discovery of of what the sport was in the history that really got me, uh, you know, into this into this sport. And then from then on, all the trips came after it. And the more I got involved with the trips, and more I got into you know the different aspects, whether it was uh, running rapids, you know, on a river doing whitewater or whether it was uh, looking for a new route uh, to another lake or whatever the case was, uh, you know, those all, all those experiences just came from the love of the sport. And so, I mean, I think all the trips I came after was just amazing. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of canoes will say the same thing. It's like when someone asks you, what is your favorite trip or what's the best trip? Everyone keeps saying it's the next one. Because you know, all these, yeah, it, because all these experiences are amazing, and and you learn something, you gain something from it, and you can just you perpetually looking forward to the next one. So, um, yeah, it, it certainly wasn't a trip that got me uh, got me started in this. It was it was discovery of what canoeing was about, uh, what canoeing was in this country. Well, hey, then in that case, um, describe a day when. You took a canoe trip. Des describe what a, a trip is like from, you know, summarize from start to finish. Okay. Well, um, canoeing, I think it's like any kind of other sport, especially when camping is involved and when you're staying overnight, is that you want to you do a lot of preparatory work prior to going. Now, 
like I said, I think we briefly touched about the difference between going to a park opposed to going to a crown land and, and, and rediscovering your own route. So I won't go into the in-depth part, but just in the uh, basic premises of a canoe trip. Uh, normally, you would set aside a, a distance, a loop that that's feasible to you. Now, there's canoes of all types and abilities. So there's ones that are, are go-getters that want to get you know a lot of distance in on, in the day. Uh, they want to portage a lot, right? It's just it's like a macho thing, right? Whereas other people want to go out there simply just to to enjoy nature. They want to relax. They want to kind of let the stresses of work, you know, melt away from their shoulders as they're paddling on along a calm lake. So you would basically uh, plot out a route that seems feasible to you based on your abilities. And then you would start planning things like the things that you would need. So your food. Um, a lot of times people would take fresh food for the first you know, few days, uh, especially because if it's in the warmer time of year, um, any food that needs to be refrigerated will obviously go bad. Um, so you'll plan your food. And then you also plan, um, what do you call, uh, you, make sure, you would make sure that you would get a map. Like, you, you know, when you plan your route, you would definitely need something to, to use as a reference to figure out where you're going and, and whether you're going in the right direction or not, right? So uh, there's a lot of uh, planning prior to even getting out. And, and, and so you need some kind of, uh, you know, I think it, it's good to have either you learn through an instructor or you learn from somebody who has experience. And a lot of people will learn through parents that had done a lot of canoeing. And they'll pick those uh, skill sets up from them. And so once you develop those basic skills, then then you pick your route, you plan uh, plan for your food, your gear, and then you get out. And then um, and then once you're out, you basically you drive to your location. So let's say it was at Algonquin Provincial Park, you would drive to an access point uh, where you would start your trip. Then you would unload your gear. And you would set off on your, you know, put all your gear into your canoe and you would paddle off. And then you would do your, your specific distance and the amount of portage to get to your campsite. Then, of course, when you're at camp, then you would set up your, your tent, your, um, your, your stove, your kitchen, and you collect your water and things like that. And then you would enjoy your day there. Now, some people um, kind of like to get to camp early. Uh, and so that they can you know, relax there and then they can kind of day trip there. So some people do kind of like what they call a base camp type new trip. So they just stay there for the whole period, the whole duration of the time. And other people, they like to be a little bit more ambitious. So they like to travel. So, which is like me, I don't, I rarely often um, base camp. I actually normally travel every day. And to me, part of my experience, what, what I love about canoeing is, is the travel part because you get to see uh, different, different locations. You get to uh, see different wildlife, right? Uh, you get to see things in different conditions. So let's say one day you're traveling and it's raining. And as much as you know, no one wants to be paddling while it's raining, you get to see, uh, like, at least for me, I've learned to appreciate things even when it's raining, you know, to see the water splatter on the uh, sorry, the rain splatter on the, on the lake and bounce up and, and have all these like little, you know, almost like little glass globes uh, uh, popping up from the lake bottom. And it's it's gorgeous, right? Mm, and yeah. uh, so you, you get to appreciate things that, you know, normally if it was raining, people may, you know, say, no, I'm going to stay at camp and I'm going to just stay in the tent. Well, paddling out on a lake when you got this beautiful uh, rainstorm going on, you get to see and experience things that you you wouldn't if you if you kept yourself in a tent, and so that's why I'm saying that sometimes part of the experience is being out there in different conditions, so you get to see, you know, what it's like to be out there. It sounds liberating, really. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you know what it's it's kind of like you know it's like it's, people are scared to sometimes get out of their own four walls in their home, right? And it's the same thing if you get out to the outdoors. You know, you have your tent walls. Well, get out of there and, and experience what's out there. And don't be afraid to get wet. Don't be afraid to get a little cold. Don't be afraid to go around that bend and, and, and see what's there. You might find a waterfall. You might find a beaver hut with beavers there, right? It's so 
we shouldn't hold ourselves back and we should allow ourselves to go and discover and explore things. You know, if you're walking through the woods and there is no trail, then um, it's pretty limiting. It's number one, you want to be taking care of nature and not tearing up the undergrowth and what have you. But at the same time, it's just really slow to try to pick your way through a dense wood. But when you're in a canoe, you don't have that issue. No. And I think that's the one thing that I, I, I love about the canoeing aspect, because when I was backpacking, I was limited to a trail. And, you know, you only got to get to certain points, you know, whether it was an elevated point where you get to see the, the vista that surrounds, and which is gorgeous. It's lovely, right? But um, other than seeing certain things, you know, sometimes while you're on the trail, on a canoe, you get to see so much more, right? Yeah, um, it's open. Exactly. It's open. So, like, you, and we, you mentioned already before that you get to sneak up on wildlife, right? In the bush, they would hear you way before you even got even close to them and they would be gone before you even got near them so at least in a canoe you can quietly paddle and you can get close enough to animals and 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 see things that normally you wouldn't if you were you're backpacking in the bush so yeah definitely like being in a canoe i feel that you get to see a lot more and if you paddle like if you paddle and then you all of a sudden see this nice cliff and and which has a nice they say a place where you could climb up and see this, uh, see the 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 area from a top. Then you can you can pull your canoe up and you can bushwhack up to the, that point and get the nice vista of, of the surrounding area. So whereas where backpacking you're kind of limited to <laughs> to the ground with canoeing you can do both. Hey, I have to ask: um, Are you familiar with Ray Mears? Yes, I am. A lot of the people in the United States haven't heard of Ray Mears because his show doesn't air on any of the networks here. Oh, um, he's he's really big in uh, in Great Britain, of course. Yeah, and he can be you know you can watch his shows over YouTube in right. the states here. But I loved his show where he built a birch bark canoe. Oh, yeah. up in Canada, and mm-hmm. I just had to bring that up because it was it was amazing and the history that he ties in with all the the fur trapping routes and the the trade routes and the massive canoes that held yeah you know lots of guys and tons of gear and and the yeah. the way that Canada was was really pioneered on the water exactly exactly so um and, and that's why that's the other aspect of canoeing sure there's the part that you're out there exploring the wilderness and and you can get to all these places in the canoe but then you think about it and you realize that this was not something that we discovered, right? It was something that was here built by the natives. And and, and it was here for, you know, hundreds of years uh, before we were here. And that's how they traveled. And that's how they got to see and hunt and and, 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 and discover this country. And so, yeah, it's, it's amazing that they were able to take whatever was available in the forest and, and develop these amazing vessels that, that allowed them to travel, to to survive, and to hunt and and trap and and do all these things. So yeah, it's it's I think it's um, it's amazing that Ray Mir was able to uh, to do that to build an actual birch bark canoe because nowadays they were saying that you know birch trees are a lot smaller due to all the logging, right? So there's hardly any birch trees that are are big enough in order to make a full canoe. I think there those trees are fairly rare, but uh, to have that kind of experience is truly amazing. Well, it's a fascinating show. I I don't mind giving a shout out to that for our listeners. If you've not heard of Ray Mears, then look him up because uh, you'll learn something every time you watch oh, him. Definitely, he's he's a, he's an expert, a real expert in in survival uh, techniques and 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 knowing how to use the resources that are available to you, and so. Um, I think it's it's good for anybody that really finds themselves a lot in, in the wilderness because we may we may sometimes find ourselves in a situation where you know you're in a survival situation and and I think you've probably heard the same stories where there is the odd time that someone accidentally you know got lost or, or by accident they got separated from some you know their, let's say their parents or whatever or wandered off and. It was funny because they had learned something from a survival show, whether it was Ray Mears or whether it was uh, Les Stroud or whomever, and they remembered those techniques and they employed them 
to survive. So it shows you how valuable to, uh, to learn these skills. Um, and you never know when, when that opportunity will come that you will need it. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. I have found that the more of those sorts of bushcraft and survival skills that you acquire, um, you, you start to understand nature more. You're working with nature at nature's speed. And mm -hmm. uh, the experience becomes more wholesome somehow. I, I think it's easy for people to uh, wander into the wilderness and try to carry the modern world in with them. And I think, especially initially, sometimes people hide a little bit from nature uh, because right. it's unfamiliar, right? Exactly. And as you learn those skills and you begin working with nature, and you realize that humanity is from nature and part of nature, right? Then it, it's more of a an ensemble. Right. Anyway, I I think that it's really wise what you're saying there. People need to do that. Get out there and make a hobby out of learning these skills because it not only makes you safer, but it right. also really enhances your appreciation of nature. That's exactly it. I think if we look at our composition, right, and we're mainly made of water, but there's all these other trace uh, elements and whatnot. Um, if you think about it, when we go out to nature, I think... Part of why we feel so connected there is because those are the things that exist in us, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Knowing, yeah, knowing you're you're basically in touch with water, right? And and how how much more natural could you possibly feel because you're composed mainly of water, right? I think there's there's an interconnectedness of us um, with nature, and we all know when we die, we go back to nature, and whatever's left of us when we die is those parts that are are used to to grow into a tree or, or or some plant or whatever right so we're in a perpetual cycle and uh, i think that's where we feel most connected and and you're right i think in our society a lot of times you know because there's a lot of uh you know um you know there's a lot of weirdos out there and, and parents are overprotective of kids and they want to keep them uh, within four walls it it it, it develops a a, a fear like a, a real fear that of, of the wilderness, of the, the outdoors. And I think until we get out there, then we'll start to really enjoy and start to feel connected rather than being stuck inside, you know, whether it's on a computer, whether it's, you know, on, in front of a TV. Uh, we really need to get out there and spend more time out there and, and, and really feel connected with, with the world that we live in. You know, I... I had a friend once who told me that his wife was nervous the first time that they went backpacking because she had always been around people. Yeah. And her commentary that night was, there's not even anyone around here to hear a scream. <laughs> and I got a chuckle because in my, in my mind, because I've spent so much time in nature, nature is home. That's exactly. nature is nurturing and that's where it's safe. <laughs> the screaming is what you have to do in, in the city, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Anyway, I, I think that people discover that, like you said, you get into nature, you, you find nature's rhythm, and it's it's not scary. It's it's amazing. Yeah. It's adventurous, yeah. for certain, but sure. really amazing. People, um, they can get over that fear. Once they understand what's out there, then you know what? They can be totally comfortable. Because you're right. There's a lot of people that have that unnatural fear. Like, um, I'll just make a quick example. In a tent, when you're sleeping in a tent, if you hear a mouse walking right next to your ear, it sounds like a bear that's coming through, <laughs> yeah, right? And, sure. and so these are the unnatural fears that unless we know to understand the sounds and what's out there, then then all of a sudden you realize, oh, it's not a big deal. And and I and I'll be honest, I I went through that fear as well too, especially when I went uh, solo. When they decide, you know, after many years of paddling with other people, I decided to go solo, and now, I know what those sounds are, and I could just sleep right through it. And I'm totally comfortable with being outdoors. But it's, it, but it's, it's that new experience. It's understanding what's out there, and then being totally comfortable and realizing, no, they're not out there to get you. They're just doing their own thing, and, and just you're recognizing 
that you're living with other animals out there and you should just be just as comfortable. Oh yeah. And you know, you speak of the mouse sounding like a bear. I've yeah. had I've had occasion to uh go face to face with quite a few bears and without exaggerating, at least fifteen oh. encounters. <laughs> wow. And you know what? I'm not even worried about the bears. There's mm-hmm. the occasional male that will uh kind of stand on his hind legs and and try to hold his ground a little bit. So you just back right. away. But most of the bears just, they're scared of you and they're going to run, you know, turn tail and, and get out of there. So it's just an amazing experience and, and actually a real gift when you get to right. see something like that. Right. So right. It, it, even the animals, I think, that people fear, we when you actually encounter them, you find out that, no, there, there are certainly things that you don't want to do. You don't want to mess with them. But at the same time, they're not there to mess with you. No, no. So and and I think it's just it's just like everything else. If you uh, find out more about them, then you'll be more comfortable because I think there's a lot of uh, information about like uh, exaggerated information through the media on on bears and whatever. And so we develop that unnatural fear. And like you said, you've had many encounters and you know how to deal with it. And so now it's not a problem. But for someone who only heard in the media that you know bears are going to attack you or, or kill you then of course they're going to be scared to death who wouldn't be right right but we learn otherwise oh yeah for sure experience you get out there and well while we're on the subject tell us about a time that things did not go right and what you had to do to manage here's a one one um incident that uh it was a very good learning experience and uh so what happened was uh I've been getting eager to get out earlier in the season and, and take advantage of, of paddling, uh, you know, as early as I possibly could. And that's, that was basically at ice out. And so, uh, my partner and I at that time decided to paddle this river and it's not a white water river, but in the early spring, the water gets very, very flooded. And, and so we knew that. And then in time, if we were running across uh, any big rapids, we would just portage around it and it wouldn't be a problem. Now, during this, uh, because it's a river trip, we had to get shuttles. And my brother had helped us with the shuttle. So they basically, you know, we because we start at one end, uh, because we needed the car at the other end, that's what they would do. They would drop us off, um, drop the other car at the at the end, and they would drop drop us off at the at the beginning of the trip so that we could paddled down to their car, and then we would have the car available for us to go home with. So during the shuttle, we we crossed this bridge, and normally there's a lot of space between the bottom of the bridge and the water. Now, because the ice had just gone out the day before, the river was in total flood condition, mm. and, and, the, and the water was actually very uh, close to the bottom of the bridge. And so there was a little bit of a joke uh, mentioned as we crossed that bridge because that was the river that we were going to pass underneath and they kind of said oh i wonder if you could even get under that right so there was no more thought to that we started the trip and uh, we were on to our second day and so of course we come to the bridge and uh, so it was still pretty uh there was still uh, not very much space underneath there so with, to my partner i it was just, I guess it was kind of one of those moments I thought, you know what, we should record us going under that bridge and, and show my brother, right? And so there was literally enough space for the canoe to go underneath the, uh, under the bridge as long as we tucked our heads deep within the, the canoe. So we had to pretty much uh, duck our heads right down. And all you had to do, because there was no ra- uh, rapids or anything, it was just the smooth water going through. All you had to do is literally duck your head down and then the current will just take you under the bridge and then we just pop out on the other side. So I explained that to my partner. Uh, she was in the bow. I was in the stern, meaning the back. And so all I was going to do is going to have, I had a point and shoot camera that I was going to press the video record button so that we could video us going underneath the, the bridge. So as we paddled towards the bridge, uh, my, my bow paddler, tuck underneath and I was getting ready to tuck as well too as I had the camera in my hand but for some reason I guess she just had a panic attack and so she popped up her head and she grabbed the bridge oh no stopped 
<laughs> yeah, and, and and here I am. I'm I had already pushed pulled uh, put my paddle in, and was in the tuck mode, and then realized that she had popped up and grabbed the bridge, and I was like telling her to let go. Well, during that time, this is where we got caught in a very diff- a bad situation because now the canoe pivoted and now was broad broadside to the current, which you never want to be in. Because what that happens now, the current is pushing against the canoe, and it rolled the canoe and tipped, like it just it just rolled into the water. Um, and this is nice warm water, right? Just after the ice melted. Exactly, it's freezing cold. <laughs> and so uh, here she was. She had grabbed onto the bridge. Half of her was in the water, and. And me being stronger, I, I had grabbed the bridge too because I got I swung around, right? And I was able, to, so I had the camera in one hand, one arm holding onto the bridge, and I had flung my leg up and, and was, was actually, I was out of the water. And, uh, and so quickly I put the camera down and I was able to climb up, but I couldn't reach her to pull her up. So I told her that she'd had to let go and just float underneath because we had our life jackets on. So all she had to do was let go, float underneath the, the bridge, and then she could get out, which she finally did because there's no way to get her out. And she floated down, and we got, she got out okay, no problem. Now, the problem was the canoe and all of her gear was floating way down the river. Ugh. Yeah, like it was, there was no possible way for us to get it. So here we are stuck on this, you know, uh, you know it's, a, it's probably like a cottage road. Right. There's nobody in cottages now because it's the season's, you know, still far from opening. Right. <laughs> and here we are with a camera in hand and one wet person and myself. <laughs> so, yes, we're in, in quite the situation there. So um, we knew we would have to start walking and find some help. Right. And luckily, just as we were starting to walk, someone had had started to drive down the road towards the bridge. And of course, we jumped in front and waved them down. And uh, an old gentleman came out. He was a retired gentleman, we found out later. And of course, he was probably kind of you know worried that we're jumping in front of this car. But we came out and we explained our situation. Of course, he couldn't believe that we were first paddling the river at this time of year and that we had lost the canoe, right? Uh-huh. So anyhow, yeah. he, because he lived in the area, um, he, he helped us. So what ended up happening was we drove to his place as him, his wife was there uh, uh, his wife was at home. She got uh, my partner, um, some dry, clean clothes. She was getting cold at this point in time. And with this gentleman, we went and got another canoe, went back to the bridge and we paddled to see if we could find the canoe. But that canoe was totally gone. It was like way down there. There was no, like, so we didn't even bother trying to paddle down the river. He knew that the, the river would have constricted and there was a lodge there where there was a set of rapids and if anything, it would get caught there. So what we did was we jumped back in the car, we drove down to the lodge and this is this is the, actually the canoe was there. So this is the funny wow. part. So as, yeah, we dro- as we drove into the lodge, the canoe was sitting there with our gear, right? And we we're like, wow, they, 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 they got it, right? They were at, the, at that moment on the phone with the police, ready to call the rescue. <laughs> because you have drowned, obviously. There's a canoe with no paddlers. Exactly. So this is the funny thing. They were, there was four of them. They were sitting on the deck, enjoying the nice... It was a nice uh, sunny day. So they were out in the deck having a beer. And of course, they see an overturned, uh, overturned canoe flowing by, right? And they see a barrel. They see a pack. They see a paddle. But they see no bodies. Oh. Right, so you can imagine what they're thinking, right? That yes, someone has, you know, some people have drowned. So they quickly got out in their canoes. They grabbed the the, the canoe, they grabbed the gear, and they had actually opened the gear and found our our like our wallets and stuff like that. So they knew, you know, there were people. They were just now calling the police to 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 get a rescue, to get a rescue going, and so we came in in just the right time, right? <laughs> yeah, it was timing was. Perfect. And so um, when we pulled up, we said that that belonged to us. I actually had to speak to the police so that we would, so that they would verify who I was and then we could call the, the, the rescue off. And so we, it got called off and it was fine. 
And uh, the only thing we lost was uh, one paddle, but everything else was right there for us to take back. Well, what are the so, odds? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, we were certainly very, extremely, extremely lucky. And uh, it just, it, it goes to show you that even when something that, yeah, it, there was obviously a risky condition because with the uh, cold water and, and, uh, and the fast flowing river, but if everything had gone as planned under the bridge, we would have just floated by and, and we would have continued with the trip with nothing, nothing more to think about. Right. right. But just little, uh, you know, panic attack and it created a whole chain of reaction that, you know, was really a disaster, uh, considering what had happened. So we were, we were very fortunate to have these great folks to help us, um, you know, and have them cross our path at that time and that it did. And and have these other people at the lodge pull everything out and and, uh, and 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 you know bring it out to shore so that we were able to to get it and uh, luckily we got to them before this huge rescue uh, <laughs> started because it would have been quite embarrassing. Yeah, it just goes to show you know we push the envelope just a little bit. You push the season a little, you push the water levels a little, and and take a chance, and it doesn't always work out the way we think it will. Exactly. Exactly. I think, you know, if we were running a rapid and something like that happened, you know what, that makes, uh, that would seem to be more reasonable that something wrong happened. But here is this, you know, almost innocent little, I wouldn't even call it a prank, just this little thing that happened and it just, it would blew up out of proportion. And then it really, you realize that, wow, you could be in a life and death situation. Oh Yeah. I mean, in a sense, it was uh, a real blessing that you're at a bridge right. where someone drove over the bridge or drove by and you could flag down and get help. I mean, if you exactly. if you lost the canoe and there was no right. bridge and there was no road and there was no trail, and now you have your canoeing partner who's um, fighting hypothermia, yep, um, that could get really ugly really fast. Oh, for sure, for sure. And, you know, I, I want to kind of bring up the subject of of our lesson from this whole incident is that, you know what? Yes, you can push the envelope on 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 your 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 canoeing skills or whatever the case is, but um, with with that comes should come a lot of knowledge and skill sets, and we probably didn't have the we had some skills and we had some abilities, but I mean we, that was a situation we totally didn't expect to happen. But secondly. Um, we learned a lot from that. So in this case, in this situation now, uh, when I have a, uh, in a situation where I know that there's a possibly a, a, a dump possibility, we always have things on us in case we lose stuff. So example would be things like uh, a rescue beacon, which now is very popular these days, like a spot or in reach, right? So right. that you could call for, for help. Things that you would have on yourself as well would be things like, uh, like a fire, a fire starter. Right, uh, things like whistle, like a knife, uh, some basic survival necessities. That if you had lost your gear in this kind of scenario, you would have something to to survive and something to to get help um, if that ever happened. And of course, back then, we didn't expect it. We didn't have anything on us other than you know the camera, uh, which was obviously very useless. But we obviously had the um, you know, fortunate that we were fortunate that we had people there to help us. Otherwise, yes, like you said, we could have been in, in real big trouble. You know, I have to kind of chuckle because uh, we had John Fielder on the show several weeks back, and he's Colorado's premier nature photographer. Right. Um, anyway, when we got to the question about a time that things didn't go right and how you could help others you know, by explaining what to do and what not to do. He kind of laughed and he says, you're being far too optimistic. He says, times have to go wrong. Those, that's how right. we learn. It's the exactly. experience of, of uh, going through these things that builds our wisdom. And he just said, until you have those situations, you've right. missed out on part of the adventure for one, but <laughs> <laughs> until you've had yeah. those situations, you, you don't really get it until it happens to you. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I totally agree. Although there is that flip side, because this is kind of why I wanted to tell people that, you know what, you should know some, you should like have some kind of background or some, let's say some courses and whatnot, because 
in our scenario, like you said, if we didn't have that road, we didn't have uh, you know a person running into us, um, we would have been in some serious trouble, right? And 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 life and death because one person is totally wet and freezing cold, right? So I understand, I, and I've made a lot of mistakes myself, which I you know it, it added uh, measurably to my experience and my abilities and my skill set. But you know sometimes I think some of it was luck, right? And and and, and luck, and then I think a lot of it has to do with our, our ability to problem solve and to assess the situation and know how to deal with it, right? So I'm thankful that I have some of those abilities that got me through some of my, you know, let's say foolish mistakes, right? But I think people shouldn't just go by the fact that, you know what, hey, you know, maybe things will work out if things screw up. Because in the real world, people do die and people do get hurt. Right. Oh yeah. And and that's that's the flip side. It doesn't happen that often, but you know what? You don't need you know multiple people dying to to finally clue in. Um, I think we need to realize that uh, when you want to push something, when you want to go a little further or harder, that you better have the appropriate skill set to go along with it, because uh, you could get yourself into a, a lot of harm. Or, or into life and death situation, but I I totally agree. Getting out there and and having those mistakes and having those uh, uh, things that go wrong is certainly part of the way that we we develop our skills and our ability to to figure out problems. We interview a lot of people that do instructing, that guide right. trips and and teach people how to do various adventure sports, and there's a reason, you know, for the listeners, if you can take the time to learn skills from someone who has the experience, then you're just right. going to be that much better off, especially when the unexpected happens. Right. And so that that's one point is that I really believe it is worthwhile to find someone with a lot more experience. If you're a novice at a sport, right. then find someone who's done it a lot and see if you can just hang out with them, help them out with the sport somehow and, and pick their brain, yep. gain some of that knowledge. The most important thing that anyone can do for any adventurous sport is to gain knowledge and understanding. Exactly. exactly. All the gear in the world won't save you um, if you don't know what to do with it. And you don't need all the gear in the world if you do know what to do. <laughs> exactly. So that's why one person can go into the wilderness with just a knife and he can survive, where somebody can go out with a whole slew of camping gear and would be totally useless. They wouldn't know what to do. Well, hey, how about closing out the show with a funny story for us? <laughs> funny story um here's one uh I, I mean i've had a lot of hilarious and funny moments uh in in my i guess you say my short career of paddling but one thing that's uh that's different in the last few years that ever since i've got married um dogs have been introduced into my life now i've had dogs as as a kid growing up and and you know i certainly um love pets but because of my schedule and because the because of the fact that I'm always out on on new trips and always in and out, um, I opted not to have a pet just because it was it was the challenge of you know I, sometimes I couldn't take them who would look after them and and you know just just me just not being around very often. But when I got married, um, along came two poodles, and uh, so we take one poodle with us fairly regularly on on trips. Uh, the other the other one is older, so unfortunately the, that dog um, gets to stay with the in-laws. But the poodle that we take with us has given me an <laughs> uh, immeasurable amount of memories and, and laughter. Um, I, 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 now I totally understand why people uh, take dogs on trips. Maybe not so much, you know, always for the humor of it, but uh, just for the companionship. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, but uh, here's one one story that uh, I literally was laughing so hard I, I almost rolled out of a canoe myself. Um, my wife and I had, were paddling in Clarney Provincial Park, and our 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 dog it's a miniature poodle, and uh, his name is Teddy, and he came with us, and it was in early spring. Now, uh, Teddy. Actually, once he got into canoeing, he actually fit right in perfectly. He was a natural. He, he was very comfortable in the canoe. He was never too much of a problem, even out of the canoe. And he was always with us. So we never really any, encountered any big problems with him. 
Um, but so we were paddling along this river and uh, we came upon a beaver dam. So, and we've done this many times. So we come upon this beaver dam and Teddy knows that we're coming to get out of canoe soon, right? So he's always, he gets up at that point in time and he wants to jump off on land and, and wait till we pull the canoe over and he'll jump back in. Well, <clears throat> because being, being early spring, uh, a lot of the trees release pollen. And I don't know if you've seen this, Kurt, but uh, it gathers in the water and it becomes thick. And it, it's, it's like a yellow, almost foam, especially when it gets, it, yeah, when it gets built up a lot. And, and actually it even smells too. It smells like almost like rotten cheese. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not exactly the most pleasing thing uh, you want to be in. But unfortunately, that's just part of it, how nature does things. And, and so anyhow, we pulled into this massive pollen in front of the dam because if the water was flowing and it was all collecting there. Well, we know what it is, but the dog didn't know what it was, right? And what this dog saw was, hey, it looks like land. And so, <laughs> so instead of jumping left where we were getting off, oh, no. he immediately got up on his fort and jumped into the massive pollen was the ground and he literally just went underneath the, the whole thing right we, of course at that point i was shocked that it even jumped that way and as it came up his his dog hair was all over his face covered in this pollen all this yellow goop and stinking like cheese and i was at least initially when they jumped in i didn't know why it did that right <laughs> but then i realized what what happened right i was laughing so hard I, I was I could I almost fell out of the canoe and my wife, she's she, I mean these are her babies right and so yeah she's trying to rescue the dog exactly and so <laughs> she rushes right in there and grabs him out of there and and washes the pollen off and I'm I'm just trying to control my laughter this whole time right and uh, uh, it was hilarious I mean my wife did laugh too but you know of course because it being her baby she wants to make sure he's okay and he would have been okay it's just he couldn't see because he had all the pollen in his hair all over his eyes right but oh my goodness didn't i laugh so i never laughed so hard <laughs> in my life and and you know i i love having uh teddy with me on trips um he's given me like i said he's given me a lot of friendship and a lot of uh, good memories and this is one of those memories that i will never ever forget because uh, it's just it was so funny and i'll bet he never did that again nope Nope. Uh, <laughs> he's a little more cautious when he's jumping out. I think he kind of watches where we go and then he'll follow. But uh, yeah, he he probably sees that and he's like, uh, no, I'll wait for my uh, parents to get out first. <laughs> well, David, thanks for that. And thank you very much for your time today. I really enjoy your perspectives about nature and canoeing and the great stories that you shared with us. Really neat. I know that you have a lot of social networking stuff going on where people might be able to find you and get more information about canoeing. Would you like to share that with our audience? Sure. Um, it's easy enough. So I have a blog, uh, passionatepaddler.blogspot.com. And I also uh, share, uh, so on the blog, uh, I used to write a lot of, of you know my adventures and my stories and, and showed, uh, show pictures of, of where I've been. Uh, sometimes I would also do gear review, which I've also reviewed um, Kurt's 180 tack stove. Uh, so things like that, that is available on the blog. Now, I have kind of moved away from the blog a bit, um, and I've moved more towards Facebook because I found that the ability to interact is 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 a lot easier, and it's it's much more, um, I think it's, it, it's much more effective that way because I can share and comment and, and people can share their things with me as well too. So on Facebook, if you just do a, a search on the passionate paddler, you'll find me. Um, and, and, and on the, on, on the Facebook, I'll share stories as well too. And I'll share uh, photos of where I've been and, and hopefully in soon I'll be able to share some videos and that's the route that hopefully I'm going to go um, in the next little while as well too. And the last thing I have is a Twitter account. Uh, Twitter is kind of new for me. It's I've just started uh, this year. So again, um, at Passionate Paddler, um, and and you can just again search for that, and you should be able to find it. It's fairly simple. Well, very fun. You know, I grew up around canoes. I've never been able to do the big trips like you've done, but 
I can tell the listeners out there, if you've not done it, you need to try it. Canoeing is just a fantastic way to enjoy nature and get out there and have a lot of fun. So once again, David, thank you very much for sharing with us today. It was a pleasure, Kurt. Uh, You bet. And uh, until next time, everyone, this has been the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thank you for your time and get out there and have some fun. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.